traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell... I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. Hey there, this is your mad prophet of the airwaves once again and welcome to Radio Free Canada News, Notes and Opinions from the Underground for Monday, September the 12th in the year of our Lord 2022. Be sure to check out the website, therichardserrettshow.com. I hope everyone had a great weekend. I spent part of Saturday night watching the Conservative Party's leadership convention. I'll never get that hour back. As expected, uh, Pierre Polyev won the, on the first ballot. The decisiveness of his victory was a surprise. 68% of the vote he received. 68%. And he won a staggering 97% of the ridings. He has a huge mandate, to say the least. He scored an even bigger victory than Stephen Harper back in 2003. But all I can say after watching the first hour of the convention was, thank God, thank God the people that run the Conservative Party won't be running the government if and when they form the next government. What a clunky and boring and predictably woke disaster that was. I had transfer embarrassment watching that hot mess. The MC 
was former reform MP and opposition leader Deborah Gray. No sense of decorum. Hooting and hollering and trying to uh, yuck it up during what should have been a very somber occasion, less than 24 hours after our queen had passed. So the tone from the outset was totally inappropriate. The staging was awkward. The lighting was horrible. And then to play identity politics and pander first to the indigenous people with the, the land acknowledgement calling Ottawa unceded territory. And then to lead off with, I believe he was an elder from the Algonquin Nation who looked very distinguished, by the way, and certainly should have been included, but not the first item on the agenda. Not the first item. It should have been a proper tribute to Queen Elizabeth II. And then it was on to a member of the Black Conservative Association of Manitoba, and then a tribute to former leader Aaron O'Toole, who could only manage to mail in a pre-recorded five minutes of uninspired, insipid, shop-worn cliches. I've heard more compelling speeches from a life insurance salesman. Sorry, that's an insult to life insurance salespeople. And then there was just a quick... In passing, a quick montage, a few pictures of the Queen in Canada. It was horrendous. I mean, I have, I have seen grade five public school pageants with more flair and sophistication. And then it was mercifully over. One ballot and done. And a great speech from Anna Polyev, who introduced her husband, the new leader of the Conservative Party of Canada and perhaps the next Prime Minister very inspiring story she has, a a great speech. And Pierre Polyev delivered the same kind of speech he delivered throughout his campaign, promising to make Canada more affordable by producing more goods and printing fewer dollars. Small governments make for big citizens. He talked about housing. He talked very briefly about ending remaining mandates, but noticeably absent. I mean, I, I went back and I listened and watched two or three times Noticeably absent from his speech was any mention of defunding the CBC. He didn't come right out and say in very clear, simple, plain language, he would axe the carbon tax as he did many times before on the carbon or on the campaign trail. He didn't say he was going to axe the current carbon tax and the second one, which is called the clean fuel standard tax. He didn't actually say it. So that's going to make what is already a very skeptical base, somewhat nervous, I would think. Aaron O'Toole promised to axe the carbon tax and defund the CBC, and then once elected leader, he immediately betrayed the base. So this time, this time will be different, perhaps. We thought. I mean, Pierre, in all honesty, he says it like he means it. Well, he didn't mention those two very important things in his victory speech. So we'll see. But I'll tell you, if Pierre Polyev doesn't reiterate his commitment to axe the carbon tax and to, do, and to defund the CBC, very soon, suspicions are going to rise very, very quickly. Oh, here we go. We've been duped again. But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that he said what he means on the campaign trail and that he'll deliver on all of those promises. But the first sign, the very first sign that he's equivocating on those and other promises That's not going to go well for the Conservative Party going into the next election. And I suspect there are a lot of Conservative members who are once bitten, twice shy, or even twice bitten and five times shy. Lots of members who signed up 
against their better judgment and thought, okay, one more time, I'll give them one more chance. One more chance. So if Pierre pivots to the center, that will be seen as the the final betrayal to a sizable chunk of the party. And of course, the radical left-wing media will be very happy and the red Tories operating in the shadows of the back room of the party, they'll be very happy if he pivots to the center. And I should think Max Bernier will also be very, very happy because he's going to sit back and say, I told you so. I told you so. In the meantime, the uh, radical left-wing advocates masquerading as journalists are going to be working overtime, churning out biased, predictable news stories, comparing Polyev to Trump, calling Polyev a racist and a homophobe and a transphobe and a fascist. I mean, it's, it's laughable. It's laughable. Pierre Polyev doesn't really need to pivot to the center. He's already a centrist. If you look at his policies, he's, a, he's right down the middle. He's a social liberal and a fiscal conservative. 30 years ago, 30 years ago, he would have been right at home in the Jean Chrétien cabinet. He's already in the center. He doesn't need to pivot to the center. Here's um, Melanie Jolie, Minister of Foreign Affairs, perhaps the least qualified cabinet minister in Canada. She probably couldn't find Ukraine on a map. Here she is spewing stupidity about Pierre Polyev's victory. People want Canadians value good government, and they don't want the polarization they've seen in other countries, including south of the border. So, based on that, we'll make sure that we deliver, that we're connected, and meanwhile, for the rest, if Pierre Polyev wants to go into, uh, you know, division, it's his decision. Will be about hope and hard work. Hope and hard work. I mean, this is a textbook example of what is meant by lack of self-awareness. She's accusing Polyev of engaging in divisiveness. Again, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, after her leader, the crime minister, repeatedly, repeatedly demonized Canadians who chose not to take the COVID vaccine, many of whom are new Canadians, people of color. In fact, he based almost his entire 2021 election campaign on dehumanizing the vaccine-free. He labeled protesters in Ottawa, many of whom were indigenous, people of all different colors, ethnicities, cultures, labeled them as white supremacists, homophobes, misogynists. And Melanie Jolie wants us to believe that Pierre Polyev is a polarizing figure. That's laughable. And so, so predictable and trite. Good luck selling that horse manure during the next election. Good luck. Yesterday was the 21st anniversary of the worst terrorist attack on North American soil. Nearly 3,000 people died, including 24 Canadians, during the attacks on the World Trade Center and uh, Pentagon. And the anniversary went largely ignored by the Biden administration and the media. Because the left in the United States and here in Canada want you to believe that, for example, the January 6th riot, so-called, at the Capitol building in Washington was on par with 9-11. They want you to believe that parents 
who show up at school board meetings and shout at school board trustees who are peddling pornography and racism in the classroom are on par with the hijackers who flew planes into buildings on 9-11. Listen to this claptrap from Meet the Press host Chuck Todd and the cackling hyena U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris. Look, we're at the 21st marking, if you will, of the September 11th attacks. Yeah. This was a foreign terrorist attacking our democracy, yeah. attacking this country. Yeah. We're now, as a nation, battling a threat from within. Is the threat mm. equal or greater than what we faced after 9-11? That's an interesting question. Um, I have held many elected offices as district attorney, attorney general, senator, now vice president, and there's an oath that we always take, which is to defend and uphold our Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. We don't compare the two in the oath, but we know they both can exist and we must defend against it. It's not an interesting question. It's an insulting question to the memory, the memories of the victims on 9-11. To compare, you know what he's saying. He's talking about Trump supporters, MAGA Republicans. He's comparing them to the hijackers. That's a disgrace. That's a disgrace. All right, a busy show. When is it not a busy show? Seriously. Uh, But more on 9-11 with Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, U.S. Army, retired in the second hour. We'll talk about that clip. Also reports that a lot of the Afghan refugees that were brought in after the the fall of Kabul were not properly vetted. We knew that. Now there are reports that up to 400 of them may be potential terrorists and they're scattered across the United States. So having, uh, having learned that, are we any safer from another 9-11 attack than we were prior to 9-11? Joel Gilbert, author of a new book on Michelle Obama and uh, the likelihood she'll be the Democratic Party's nominee for president in 2024. Uh, He'll be here second hour. This hour, Stefan Verstappen, our emergency preparedness expert. But coming up first, Lori Goldstein from the Toronto Sun on Pierre Polyev's decisive victory. The Richard Serrett Show off and running for Monday, September 12th. Facta non verba. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Laurie Goldstein, Canadian Hall of Fame journalist and Toronto Sun columnist, joins us. Laurie, welcome. How are you? I'm good. Richard, how are you? Very well. Very well. 97% of the ridings won, 68% uh, of, of, you know, first ballot win. So decisive, more decisive, I think, than even Stephen Harper's victory back in 2003. Is this now Polyev's uh, party to, to, to shape and mold as he sees fit at this point? Oh, uh, absolutely. You remember that the last two um, uh, conservative leadership races, and they were very close. There were multiple ballots. And the winner, you know, uh, the winner won, but 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 nothing like almost 78 percent of the vote with, you know, I think four others in the race. So, no, um, this is his party to take in the way direction he wants to. Um, I think any of the I think the other candidates realize that um, in their concession speeches. And, um, yeah, you know, because he, he won big. And so now we know he speaks for the conservative uh, party. That doesn't mean that there won't be conservatives that will, will you know, be upset about his leadership and, and, you know, may try to undermine him, which conservatives are very good at doing. But but 
any, I think any observer looks at this and goes, this is his party. He can take it in the direction he wants to go in. The only thing being the test of his success will not be winning the leadership by you know almost 70%. It'll be can he defeat Justin Trudeau or whoever the liberal leader is in the next election. In his uh, election, or his victory speech uh, on Saturday, and I went back and I watched it a couple of times just to be clear, and maybe I, I don't know, maybe I missed something, but he didn't mention defund the CBC, and he also, he didn't, he hinted at it. He said, you know, we're no new gas taxes or some, or no new fuel taxes, but he didn't come out and say something that he had said repeatedly on the campaign trail. He's going to ax the carbon tax, not only this one, but the, you know, the, ne- the next one that's coming, which is the clean fuel standard. He didn't say it specifically. What do you think is going uh, on? Yeah, we'll see. I noticed certainly the thing about um, the CBC, because he certainly pounded that message um, that he, um, you know, during the, the campaign that he was going to defund the CBC. And, and on, on the other thing, that really bleeds into climate change. And he did talk about things like like fighting climate change through energy policy, which is actually a good idea. But, but you know, look, he says he's, he's there's no pivot that he is. You know, you see what he gets. So the speech itself, I thought, was very good. It spoke to the whole country. It talked about um, the people he wants to appeal to in the next election. Um, you know, you don't have to, in a victory speech, talk about every thing and repeat everything you've said. But But you're right. I mean, you know, he'll be questioned on that very closely now. Well, you said that you're going to defund the CBC. Are you still going to do that? And I expect his answer will be yes, but we'll see what he says. And, um, you know, he also he didn't get into a lot of the so-called battle cry of freedom. He got into specific things that he said um, he wants to do. And there were some great lines like, you know, saying, you know, Canadians don't need a government that, that lectures them that they're bad people. They need a government that knows how to run the pa- the yes. passport office. I mean, that was good stuff. So, um, and also his wife, <laughs> um, she yeah. certainly got game. Uh, terrific, um, you know, terrific opening to him. And also talking about things I think most people didn't know about him, that he was, you know, born to a 16-year-old teenage um, mother uh, whose mother had just died and put him uh, up for adoption. And um, and he talked a bit about that background and, you know, his the, the origins of his family and his wife. And, and, you know, even said, like, well, I guess we're kind of a dysfunctional family like every Canadian family. So that was that was um, interesting. So, you know, look, he's now got the job. Now we'll see what he can do. Right. Oh, I, I agree. I thought it was a great speech. But I'm thinking, you know, there is a, a large chunk of that base uh, that bought memberships. I mean, he brought a lot of new members in. That bought memberships, maybe they've thought about voting conservative, maybe they have in the past, but they're sort of, you know, once bitten, twice shy, or maybe even twice mm-hmm. bitten. Aaron O'Toole, yep. uh, you know, talking about axing the carbon tax and then pivoting immediately. Same with mm-hmm. funding the CBC. And so I, 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 it was a great speech, set a great tone. I'm just wondering whether he made a lot of that base a little nervous, more than a little nervous, by not mentioning those things specifically. We'll, we'll pick up on that uh, point and uh, talk some more on the other side. Lori Goldstein, Toronto Sun columnist, stays with us. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serra Show. Welcome back. Lori Goldstein stays with us, Toronto Sun columnist, talking about Pierre Polyev's decisive victory in the conservative leadership convention held on Saturday, and um, I, I don't want to put too fine a point on it. I guess my, my, my point is that I think a lot of those new members that came in um, under uh, during Polyev's campaign, the, the memberships that he attracted, they're going to be they're going to be looking very, very carefully 
uh, over the next few days for Polyev, you know, to once again reiterate his commitment to axe the carbon tax and to fund the CPC. Um, I, I do want to talk to you about your recent opinion piece on on um, Polyev saying that he can win despite a hostile media. And I was thinking, you know, if he were running for governor of Arizona or Florida, that would probably be a political asset running against the, the, the media. I'm not I don't know. I haven't decided yet here in Canada. What are your thoughts? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Well, his his argument right through has been that, um, you know, for years that the, the parliamentary press gallery, the major networks and um, the major uh, newspapers are, are against conservative ideas um, that um, and, and that. So he figures that while well, not losing anything, uh, when he talked about defunding the CBC, he said there were people in the party who said, oh, but if you do that, the CBC will be mad at you. And, and when you run for election, they will be against you. And, and he went, well, they're against us anyway. They were against uh, Shear. They were against, um, you know, all the conservative leaders. They were against Harper, and Harper never defunded the CBC in the ten years that he was in power. So his his argument is that uh, what he's trying to do, and I think what all you know, also there are things here that are true. I mean, all the major networks do stories critical of Justin Trudeau. The Globe and Mail, for heaven's sakes, has you know has um, you know done all kinds of major stories um, criticizing the government. They broke the last scam scandal, um, and editorially, um, the Post Media chain that I'm a part of is a yes. philosophically conservative. Um, organization. And we're the largest newspaper chain in the country. And in the last election and in most elections, going back to the Harper era, most post-media papers endorsed the conservative leader. So, so you know, the, all these things are a, a bit of hyperbole and all that. But having said that, um, I think what he's trying to do is what all the most successful conservative politicians do. Going back to, for example, um, Ronald Reagan, uh, to Brian Mulroney, who won two consecutive majority governments, to Mike Harris in Ontario, who won two consecutive majority governments. And that's what they want to get beyond the media filter of what they say and speak directly to people that, that they think might vote for them. And, you know, the, the social social media has sort of been a, a boon to conservative politicians and the ability to do that. Um, others use it very well, too, such as the prime minister, Justin uh, Trudeau. So, you know, I, I think what he's I think what he's doing there is is just what politicians have done and particularly conservative politicians have done from time immemorial, which is that they want to they want to talk to people directly. They don't um, they don't want an inordinate amount of what they believe coming through the filter of what in this case, um, uh, um, sorry, um, he says is a, you know, a biased liberal media. Right, right. Um, I, I think he he. Utilize social media better than any uh, politician to date. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, 
the stuff that he was being mocked for by traditional media was incredible. It was just incredible stuff because you sort of go, look, he's not trying to impress you with his, you know, you in the mainstream media with access to millions of dollars of equipment. He's not trying to impress you in terms of, or us, I should include ourselves in this, but by the technical, you know, that, it, that it's, it's low production value and all that. That doesn't matter. He's trying to reach ordinary people who look at, look at those clips and go, yeah, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, no, I agree with you. I thought he was the most effective user of um, social media in this campaign where you don't have to spend a fortune to get out your message. Most of those things are basically shot on either a computer or, or a cell phone. And, you know, and he talks about them. And I think they deliberately make it kind of low tech. Um, uh, you know, the idea being, oh, this isn't traditional. We're going to have the bells and whistles and all these great graphics. No, it's just going to be me telling you what I do if I was prime minister. Uh, just a quick uh, point on, uh, you mentioned Anna uh, delivered, I thought, a fantastic speech. She has a great, uh, a great story. Uh, we, oh, don't yeah. have, we don't have a first lady in Canada. We don't have this tradition of having uh, the prime minister's uh, partner and wife, you know, out in center stage and so forth. Do you think she's going to change the game here? Is there going to be kind of a, a, a cultural shift in, in terms of that? It's not an institution, but that that title, that position in Canada now? I, I don't know. I, I mean, to me, I know some people, you know, comment that Mike, well, look, she's, she's introducing her husband. Right. And then we learned, oh, she's got game. I, I mean, you know, she's fluent in at least three languages, English, French and Spanish and, and very articulate. Um, but but in terms of uh, I agree with you, we don't normally have, um, uh, you know, like a, a first lady. What I would say is that it seems to me, and look now, she's going to be scrutinized very closely because she's the wife of, of the conservative leader. But I, what it does suggest to me is that she could be a very valuable asset on the campaign trail. In, in other words, that if you can't get Pierre Polyev, you're going to get her. And I think for a lot of conservatives, um, that will not only be equal to, but maybe even better than maybe they're more interested in hearing her than him. So I think the real politic of it is, is look, this is an articulate woman. She's politically experienced. Um, she has a, a good story. Um, and so I think on the campaign trail, she would be an asset. What I would caution them is to not get her as the lead attack dog on the prime minister or Jagmeet Singh. That's not her job. I mean, she's not running for political office. She has no political standing. Uh, but she can certainly talk about the conservatives and her husband and what she thinks. Um, you know, she can talk about those things, conservative policies and um, and what her husband believes in. But I don't think she should be sort of an attack dog uh, because, I, as again, she's not running, at least as far as I know, she's not planning to run in politics. And so, you know, leave that to her husband. Laurie, always appreciate your, your insights. Thank you so much. Great. Happy to talk to you. Take care. Lori Goldstein, Toronto Sun columnist. All right, when we come back, The Survivalist. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. The Survivalist on The Richard Serrett Show. All right, welcome uh, welcome back. Every Monday at this time, we help you to prepare for when the lights go out long-term. Stefan Verstappen is our emergency preparedness expert, the author of The Art of Urban Survival. Stefan, welcome back. Did you have a good weekend? 
Yeah, I had a great weekend, uh, Richard. It was bittersweet. It was sweet because on Sunday we had our community had a potluck dinner. And so we had, you know, 50 people show up. They brought their families. Their kids were playing around outside in the sunshine. It was beautiful. And we made stone soup. Stone soup? What is stone soup? Well, it's a parable. It's an old folk tale about a, a, a poor man wandering the, the countryside and he stops by a village and uh, everybody in the village says, oh, we have no food. We're, we're suffering. We're starving. And he said, that's OK. I can make us all a big pot of soup. It's called stone soup. And I have a stone here. Anyways, it, the story goes on a little bit longer. I'm going to narrate it in the video. And it's also the preface to my book, The Complete Guide to Forming Communities. All right. Stone soup sounds yummy. Honey, is this gravel done? I don't know. It's it's a little hard. <laughs> I, I cooked it for 20 minutes. It's actually a great story. It, it's it's common to China and, and Western Europe. Anyways, so uh, we had a great uh, uh, a time at the potluck dinner. Of course, my pasta salad supremo was uh, completely sold out. <laughs> All right. Well done. Well, now let me ask you, as a uh, as a survivalist, as a prepper, were those noodles handmade? Homemade? No, I had to I had to get gluten free. Everybody's goddamn gluten free these days. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't like the gluten free noodles. I, I prefer the regular pasta. But anyways, um, but the, the bitter part was that the uh, one of our members, the one that I told you about, he would lost his son a few weeks ago. Healthy young man, 28 oh, yes. years old. Died in his sleep, right? And so, I'm, you know, it, it's painful to look at him. You know, you can see him holding back the tears all the time. Oh, dear. And we asked him, so did you ever find out what happened, what, what the cause of death was? And he said, yeah. Finally, after months, they got a hold of the coroner, and he asked the coroner what, what the cause of death was. That's me. And um, the coroner said, I can't tell you. And the father said, and the, and the father said, you mean... You're not allowed to tell me because you're not allowed to tell me. And he says, yes. So that's all you need to know. So you got to understand that people are dropping dead and the doctors and the coroners, they know what's going on, but they are being pressured by our government not to tell you why people are dying. There you go. Well, these excess mortality, I don't want to belabor the point and, you know, we want to get around to our our subject jour, but these excess mortality rates around the world, these statistics are cause for major concern and and it should be leading us to ask more and more and more questions, not fewer and fewer. And yet we all want to, uh, you know, there's a big pink elephant in the room and uh, someone says, hey, there's a pink elephant in the room and the media says, no, ignore him, ignore him. Um, But we know what that pink elephant is. Yes, we do. All right. So, uh, you know, I, I was asking you on email today, what are we going to talk about? And you you uh, wrote back and you said, well, with rising crime and the WRL, WROL on the horizon, what can Canadians do to protect themselves? And I and I wrote back and I said, WROL, what is that? It sounds like the call letters of a radio, a top 40 radio station. <laughs> WROL. Uh, <laughs> what is WROL? Well, it's one of several acronyms that are used in the prepper community, such as uh, Teotihuacan. Have you heard of that one? No, no. Okay, so Teotihuacan means the end of the world as we know it. (laughs) (laughs) And W-R-O-L means without rule of law. Ah, that makes sense. How to protect yourself when 
the uh, the absence of the rule of law is on the horizon. OK, yes. that makes sense. and I would argue that we now live without rule of law, you see, because the government and especially Emperor Castro is above the law. All right. Executive orders are not legal. He issues executive orders that instantly transform tens, if not hundreds of thousands of law abiding, abiding Canadians into felons overnight. That's it. And he issues mandates and lockdowns and passports that have destroyed tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of businesses, ruined people. All of this with without passing a law, without discussing this in Parliament. This is Emperor Castro's just issued an order, an executive order, which is what they used to call an imperial decree. We're supposed to be a democracy. You can't just make up laws on the spot without debate, without challenge, without bringing it to the people. Sure. But, but when you talk about the rule of law, I, I was assuming you were talking about, you know, the absence of a, a police force. You know, when yes, civil disorder yes. breaks down, we don't have an active uh, police force. So, for example, you know, in, in, we're seeing out in California now. Um, they basically will not respond to, uh, you know, a smash and grab type of robbery. And we've seen the videos on social media where, you know, a mob of people will just storm into a convenience store, push the owner aside, smash the cabinets, just take whatever they want and, and leave. That to me is uh, an absence of the rule of law. So yeah. you want to talk about how we can protect ourselves in the eventuality that that visits upon our our fair land here. We'll do that on the other side. Stefan Verstappen, emergency preparedness expert, author of The Art of Urban Survival, chinastrategies.com and formingcommunities.com. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. And we're back with Stefan Verstappen, emergency preparedness expert, author of The Art of Urban Survival, chinastrategies.com formingcommunities.com. So we're, we're talking about the breakdown in in uh, civility and civil order and uh, even perhaps an inability of police forces to respond should we see some kind of a crime wave or WROL, as you call it, without rule of law. So uh, let, let, let's get into that. How do we protect ourselves? Well, you're not allowed to, Richard. This is Canada. You're not allowed to defend yourself. It's insane. The the laws, and I've been doing a deep dive all week on this, trying to figure out the Canadian laws about the surrounding self-defense. And basically, you're not allowed to defend yourself. So, for example, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about members of my community that uh, formed a buying group to purchase uh, a couple of dozen stun guns. Which are prohibited weapons. You can't own those legally, my understanding. That's correct. But there was a mistake in the... Um, actual term. Now, a, a, a taser is one that shoots out those darts that will, uh, you know, uh, deliver an electrical charge. Yes, they're illegal. You can't buy them in Canada. Stun guns are, again, illegal in Canada. And and um, th these are like handheld devices that will uh, cause an electrical discharge between the two prongs. And again, they're illegal. But what they bought was the equivalent of a stun gun, but it was at the end of a flashlight. And so long as it is more than 480 millimeters long, it's legal in Canada. So because this now falls under the category of 
cattle prod. So all the, the tasers and the stun guns, they're illegal in Canada, but a cattle prod is not illegal in Canada. So if it's at the end of like a baton and you've got the prongs there and it emits an electrical charge, that's okay. However, again, with Canadian laws, this is all insane. So you're allowed to buy them. You're allowed to own them. You're not allowed to use them for that intended purpose, I would imagine. Exactly. You're not allowed to carry them and you're not allowed to use them. And if you use them, they then become a prohibited weapon and you're going to face the same charges as if you imported an illegal submachine gun and carried that around. It's, it's the same in the eyes of the Canadian law. So, again, we, we can't carry a weapon to defend ourselves. We're not allowed to defend ourselves. Well, within certain reasons, but um, listen, what we're facing is a rise in crime. But as society declines, we're going to be facing a rise of madness. People are losing it. They go nuts. Look at what happened in Saskatchewan. What was it? Twenty eight people stabbed. Uh, 18, 18 injured, not including the uh, the two perps and uh, uh, 10 dead plus the two perps eventually died. So 10, 10 murdered, 10 innocents murdered, 18 or 19 injured. Yeah. And where were the police to prevent that? Oh, they're 45 minutes away. They don't have a local uh, a local unit, which to me is unconscionable that, you know, that, that, yeah. that these poor people were defenseless. And I live in a rural area and there's a lot of isolated farmhouses. Now, if somebody were to break into those farmhouses, the nearest cop is a 40 minute drive away and they are not allowed to defend themselves. OK, so listen, the Canadian rules and laws are ridiculous. It's designed to strip citizens of power and, and rights, and it's designed to put all the power in the hands of government. So what can you do then? OK, listen, it's going to be it's going to get more and more dangerous. First of all, I recommend traveling in twos. So if the wife is going to go to the grocery store, make sure somebody goes with her because we've seen this in the U.S. and it's coming here. And that is criminals will wait around the grocery store. They'll see a woman with a whole lot of groceries bringing out to the car. They'll follow the woman home and then do a home invasion when she gets there. So you need, you know, you got to travel in twos now. But okay, there's one still slight hope. There is a weapon that I recommend that's perfectly legal and you can carry it and it's very effective. Can you guess what that weapon is, Richard? I know you can. Uh, no, I can't. I can't think of a weapon. How about a uh, how about a, a large eggplant that you could beat the perpetrator? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's illegal in Canada, too. <laughs> Only the seedless variety. No, yes. seriously. What, so what 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 is the weapon? It's a cane. A cane. Ah, yes. 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 Now, you know, I, I've, I've taught martial arts for 40 years and uh, I do sword and spear and double swords and double sticks and instrument and all that. I'll be honest with you. And when I taught, I had a student who was blind and I taught her self-defense and I taught her self-defense using a cane. And even a blind woman can become very effective with just a little bit of training, very effective at using a cane for self-defense. Now, here's why it works. First of all, you can carry it everywhere. You're not going to get arrested. If I get one of those telescopic batons now, you can buy them at you know certain outlets and stores. If I carry one, it's the same as me carrying a submachine gun in the eyes of the Canadian law. So if I were to carry one, God forbid I should pull it out and use it to defend myself. Um, I'm risking, you know, two years of court cases, 
tens, if not hundreds of thousands of lawyers fees to prevent me from going to jail. But a cane is not like that. You can carry that and it's not considered a weapon. Now, here's the other thing. A cane is often better than a concealed carry pistol. Like in the United States, they're allowed to carry a pistol. And the reason for that is that when you get mugged on the street, it's usually an ambush. It's by surprise. They suddenly come out of the shadows. They run up to you from behind. They run up to you from front and, and they hit you. And by the time you can reach into your you know, belt and pull out a pistol and take off the safety and rack around and they're all over you anyways. But the cane, because you have it in your hand already, that is a big game changer. And like I said, it takes just a little bit of training and that cane can become lethal and deadly and you won't be charged with a felony in Canada, because you can say, listen, I was walking my dog. Uh, my knee is a little bit sore, so I brought my cane with me and then I was attacked. And then I used the cane that I had in my hand to defend myself. Now they can't charge you anything else, a taser or cattle prod or bear spray or, or an eggplant or an eggplant. <laughs> you carry that around and you defend yourself. You're going to jail. So as things get worse, I recommend get a nice cane, get a solid uh, maple or hickory. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. And uh, it's got to be at least a one inch diameter, one and a quarter inch diameter. Good, solid, heavy cane. And now you can carry that everywhere. And um, it's very effective as a self-defense weapon. There you go. Stefan Verstappen, emergency preparedness expert, author of The Art of Urban Survival, Chinastrategies.com formingcommunities.com. Stefan, you have a great rest of the week. We'll talk again next Monday. Thank you, Richard. You take care. All right. This eggplant is armed and dangerous. All right. Hour two awaits. Is the new King of England a globalist proponent of the Great Reset? We'll talk about that with Colonel David uh, J. Giamona. And uh, also... We'll uh, also check in with Tom Korski, managing editor at Blacklocks Reporter. Unpublished data confirm COVID vaccination rates for expectant mothers are far below the national average. Uh, We'll also speak with uh, Joel Gilbert, political commentator, about Michelle Obama's uh, the likelihood she'll run for the uh, president back in uh, 2024. Stay with us.
The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. We're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. Welcome to Hour 2. If you missed Hour 1, shame on you. You missed a lot, but don't despair. Still, plenty of great programming coming your way this hour, including political commentator, foreign policy analyst, and author Joel Gilbert. His new book is Michelle Obama 2024, Her Real-Life Story and Plan for Power. And uh, he'll be joining us a little bit later this hour. Uh, He was... um, Watching as many of us were when the uh, Obamas visited the White House a couple of weeks ago to unveil their new portraits. And at that time, uh, Joel reached out and uh, wanted to come on to talk about Michelle Obama's path to the White House. I think it's now widely accepted that most Democrats and uh, most in the, in the uh, lib left media do not want Grampy Joe Beijing Biden to run. In 2024, he seems to think he's running. There is a little matter of the 25th Amendment. I'm sure if he won't go willingly, they may play that card because, let's face it, he's a liability, as is cackling Kamala Harris. So who will step in as the uh, nominee in 2024? Could be Michelle Obama. I have my money on California Governor Gavin Newsom. We'll see. However, Joel Gilbert will be here to discuss. So yes, uh, yesterday was the 21st anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attacks and didn't get a lot of attention. Here or in the U.S. Now I understand, you know, there are certain, certain dates. The 1st anniversary, the 10th anniversary, the 20th anniversary, the 25th anniversary, the 21st anniversary doesn't it isn't readily as readily acknowledged however uh i think one of the reasons it was ignored is because again the left wants to focus on january 6th and angry parents shouting down school trustees at school board meetings they want to put these Individuals on par with the hijackers who flew planes into the World Trade Center towers and the Pentagon. That's what the left wants you to think, that they're on par. So they don't want to talk about 9-11. They want to talk about what they call domestic terrorists. And then it came to light recently that up to 400 Afghanis who were brought to the United States after the fall of Kabul may be terrorists, potential terrorists. Which leads one to ask... Are we any safer from another 9-11-style terrorist attack than we were 
in the days, weeks, months, years leading up to 9-11. Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, U.S. Army retired, will be here to discuss that. Tom Korski, managing editor at Blacklock's Reporter, will also be here. Unpu- uh, unpublished data confirm that COVID vaccination rates for expectant mothers are far below the national average, according to a federal science committee. That's not surprising. Expectant mothers apparently pay attention to the news. In uh, Denmark, the government is forbidding anyone under the age of 18 getting a COVID vaccine. In the UK, a health summary from the, uh, the NIH suggests or recommended against pregnant women getting a vaccine. So why should expectant mothers in Canada be any different? They read the news. They pay attention to this stuff. So their, hesita- their hesitancy to get a vaccine, entirely understandable. Tom Korski will be here to tell us more. Right now, my next guest says that the era of King Charles III, that's going to get take some getting used to, the era of King Charles III ushers in the New World Order. Colonel David David J. Giamona is a U.S. Army chaplain, co-author of The Military Guide to Disarming Deception, Battlefield Tactics to Expose the Enemy's Lies and Triumph in Truth. David, welcome to the program. How are you? Richard, I'm great, and it's good to be on the show with you today. My pleasure. My pleasure. So uh, take us back to, I mean, your concerns that King Charles III um, is going to help usher in the Great Reset, the Great uh, Reset we've heard so much about. So take us back to that COP26 United Nations Climate Change Conference in Glasgow back in November of 2021. Right. Uh, and and yeah. some of the statements that he made there. Well, you know, um, it's interesting. And, and, and I get to frame this insert because a lot of people are on shows are telling me, well, the new King Charles is going to be different than the Prince Charles. Well, uh, <laughs> that's that's a. Uh, Way to be seen. It's, it, but I'm just reading an article about that today. Yeah, but if you go back to Glasgow and other statements that Prince Charles was making, he's a radical, radical uh, WEF, World Economic Forumist, uh, One Worlder, um, climate change guy. And uh, he's been pumping that uh, steam for a long time. And, and he's just basically saying, look, the world needs to come together and spend tr- not billions but trillions of dollars on uh, climate change. And anytime you hear climate change, by the way, just think new world order, one world government uh, coming together by the billionaires want to put They want to rule the world and they want us peons to uh, get the crumbs from it. I mean, that's basically what they want. Uh, and they know because they're smarter than all of us. And by the way, his, his father, Prince Philip, uh, was a guy that said, you know, we should only have 500 million people on this planet and the rest of us should go away. Right. He was uh, once he thought- asked, by the way, sorry, he was once asked uh, uh, in an interview if he, he, you know, if he was to be reincarnated, what he would like to come back as. And he said a deadly human virus. Right. Yeah. That's not hearsay. I actually saw the video. And um, and so King Charles really takes more after his dad than his mother on, on all this stuff. And it, it does remain to be seen what he's going to do as king. Is he going to tamper down the rhetoric or is he going to use his enormous influence? Now, I understand he doesn't have any power per se, you know, financial, but he has a great deal 
of, of influence on the monarchy, on the prime minister, on everything else. And is he going to live up to Queen Elizabeth's uh, status? I don't think so. Uh, he's got too much baggage, too many things, too many skeletons in the in the closet. But uh, it remains to be seen. But yeah, he is he is definitely an advocate, an activist for a new world order. Uh, let me just uh, recite here from your your piece on um, King Charles and COP twenty six United Nations Climate Change Conference. He said that he called for a global fundamental economic transition that is accomplished without the approval of sovereign nation states. In other words, he said, beyond even the governments of the world leaders. And then he added that this transition would cost trillions, not billions of dollars, and would require, this is the key point, a vast military-style campaign. Now, his speechwriters probably worked weeks on this speech. They chose his words very carefully. A vast military-style campaign. What yeah. is it in mind? What is yeah, it in mind? That's definitely scary rhetoric, scary talk. And yes, you're exactly right. His uh, writers knew exactly what they were talking. He approved it. And basically, he's talking about if the, uh, and I wrote another op ed along with Troy Anderson a few weeks ago on the elimination of free speech coming out of the World Economic Forum. You know, these things that we're talking about are not hearsay and innuendo, they're actually being said and followed through by big organizations. And so um, King Charles did, at at that time, Prince Charles did say those things. And a a vast military network is going to be uh, what's going to happen if he wants to take over the world as we know it and put together a new world order. It's going to take a military-style campaign to do that. And uh, COVID-19 was just a precursor uh, it was an inlet to let these guys say, hey, we need a great reset. We can reset the world uh, by, you know, this plague and the fear factor. And everybody's, as you know, everybody was willing to give up their uh, safety for security. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and overpolicing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. And if something bigger happens, which is in the works right now in China and other places, uh, people are more than willing to trade their safety for security. Colonel David J. Giomana, U.S. Army chaplain and co-author of the Military Guide to Disarming Deception, Battlefield Tactics to Expose the Enemy's Lies and Triumph in Truth. Um, the, uh, yeah, the, the skeptics are saying that he'll be too busy as, as king 
uh, he even sort of intimated as much in his in his first address on television to the uh, to the Commonwealth and the British people, saying, you know, he's going to have to step back from his charities and his role as an activist in order to fulfill his his duties as king. You're not buying that, I'm guessing. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll uh, discuss further. Is the new King of England a globalist proponent of the Great Reset? Back with more of our conversation in two minutes. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Colonel David J. Giomana, U.S. Army Chaplain, co-author of The Military Guide to Disarming Deception, is with us. And we're talking about King Charles III. And uh, it's uh, you know no secret that he is uh, certainly an advocate of the Great Reset. He's been um, seen in the company of Klaus Schwab numerous times and uh, attended... Uh, WEF meetings and so forth. And at the COP26 United Nations Climate Change Conference in Glasgow back in uh, November, he talked about a, um, a fundamental economic transition is needed, a global fundamental economic transition. It would be accomplished uh, without the approval of sovereign nation states beyond even the governments of the world, he said. And um, he said it would require a vast military style campaign. So, David, this idea that now that he's king, he simply will not have time. He's going to have to to uh, he, he said, I think, in his speech that he would leave those, his activism to other people, to others. You're not buying it. Why not? Uh, <laughs> you know, I think King Charles is keenly aware that his mother was mostly apolitical. And that's what people want their king to be is mostly apolitical. However, all the things that he fought for over these years, is not, they're not going to go away. He's going to still be connected. And whether he does it overtly or covertly, he will definitely be involved in the things that he's been talking about so strongly for many years. He's, it's not going to go away overnight. Right. Um, so what concerns you in the immediate uh, future about um, the World Economic Forum and their plans for instituting this Great Reset. And I mean, they have obviously, the, Klaus Schwab has bragged openly about having, quote, infiltrated cabinets and governments around the world. Um, what are they going to do with that influence in the immediate future, do you think? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't think we have enough time in the whole show to unpack that, but I'll try anyway. First of all, do you remember last year when uh, I wrote an article on this op-ed on Joe Biden saying that the United States must lead the new world order? So he is definitely, and the left is definitely an advocate. They're an advocate of climate change, i.e. world government, uh, spending billions and trillions of dollars on on this thing that's a facade for world government. Uh, China, for example, uh, credit scores. Uh, if you're not uh, doing all the things that the Chinese government wants you to do, you can't buy or sell, go anywhere, do anything unless you're cooperating, you know, cooperating with the Chinese government. Those types of things are happening in corporations right now in the United States of America. Uh, I'm not sure about Canada. Uh, I'm not an expert there, but here, corporations are saying, hey, if you don't have transgenders on your board, for example, uh, you know, you're not going to buy and sell and have the credit score that the we, that you should have. It should be a lot higher. So, you know, all these things are playing into a new world order. And I don't want to scare people, but this is absolute truth. A few weeks ago, we had a high ranking doctor, Ph.D., medical doctor 
uh, talking to the Congress of the United States about China's virus that they're experimenting with right now in their labs, level four labs, that is a 60% death rate. Now, you got to remember COVID had a 1% death rate. So they're playing with fire right now. And a lot of people are asking me, well, did the Chinese really release this, killing their own people? You know, this uh, COVID-19 and others. And I said, look, if you can look at the history of Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, they had no qualms of killing tens of millions of their own people to get what they wanted. And so all these things are on our doorstep. And that's what concerns me about King Charles. His influence in the immediate future can be really big. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all, but these are the facts uh, as I know it right now. Well, he certainly has, uh, I guess, witting accomplices within the UK government. Liz Truss, uh, I think she tries to portray herself, you know, posing in that tank as the next Margaret Thatcher. Clearly, she's not. Uh, however, there are some signs in, in Europe. Italy, of course, is going to the polls later this month. Uh, it looks like they're going to have a, uh, a um, well, the, the, the media there would call it a far-right government, but for the first time since the Second World War, a really, you know, a right-wing government. Sweden yesterday went to the polls. Looks like a, uh, a center-right coalition is going to take power there. Uh, any any optimism that we can turn this thing around? Oh, there's always optimism, and I really hope and pray we do. Uh, I'm involved in a lot of movements in, in the United States right now. Uh, called the Awakening, Reawaken America, a patriotic plus uh, religious movement that are going on at grassroots that are sick and tired of all the stuff going on. Is there hope? Absolutely. But the silent majority cannot be silent anymore. We must stand up or we're going to lose our freedoms. We must fight. I'm not talking physical fisticuffs or weaponry, but we must spiritually, politically, economically, educationally fight for our freedoms or we will lose them. How do we get a copy of the Military Guide to Disarming Deception, Colonel? Now that That's the easiest question of the night. It's whenever books are sold. You can buy a book. You can buy an Audible download. You can buy a, a, all kinds of different ways. But Amazon, of course, is your best bet. Colonel David G. J. Giamana, thank you so much for your time. Hey, thanks, Rich. Appreciate having me on. All right. When we come back, Tom Korski, Managing Editor of Blacklock's Reporter. Stay with us. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, welcome back. Unpublished data confirm COVID vaccination rates for expectant mothers are far below the national average, according to a federal science committee. And uh, here with more, Tom Korski, managing editor of Black Locks Reporter. Tom, welcome back. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Richard. Uh, so, does this come as a surprise uh, to the uh, the federal government that the uh, the 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 uptake with with pregnant women is is below the the, the national average? Given you know what's come out of uh, the UK, where they're not recommending vaccines for pregnant women, Denmark has basically said no vaccines for for anyone under the age of eighteen. Apparently, it is a surprise to them, Richard, surprisingly enough. This is the National Advisory Committee on Immunization. That's pretty high up. And they find data. The closest data they can find that's relevant is from Ontario, unpublished, that indicates the vaccine take-up rate for pregnant mothers is 71%. That's way below, 16 points below the, the general public in Ontario or nationwide. 
Well, why wouldn't expectant mothers get the vaccine? Because there were no expectant mothers in any vaccine trial. They've mm-hmm. known this for years. Expectant mothers, women who are pregnant or nursing mothers, even on the f- winter flu shot, will hesitate to get it at rates that are well below the national average. For obvious reasons, they're thinking about the baby. This was a newsflash to the immunization committee. Lord, I mean, doctors will even recommend to pregnant women don't eat certain soft cheeses and avoid coffee. Uh, But the federal government wants pregnant women to take a, a COVID vaccine when, as you say, expectant mothers were not part of the trial. Unbelievable. Uh, still, that's a, that's a pretty high, I would say, you know, given all of the information that's out there, that's still a pretty high uptake rate, 71% among pregnant women, wouldn't you say? It is. But, you know, look at the uh, at the advice they would have received. And uh, I mean, how many people would get that as a matter of course to keep their job? I mean, this this takes you back. This data takes you back through the through the heyday of the mandates. It's interesting, Richard. You mentioned the international advice, the National Immunization Committee. This is the, this is the top level. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and overpolicing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. That is advising the Federal Department of Health. They've been all over the map. They started off the pandemic, said, don't take it if you're an expectant mother. Then they changed their mind. Then last January, they said, oh, not only should you take it, you should be getting your booster. And now after all this, they come in with a research and says, yeah, I guess expectant mother stopped listening to us. Can you imagine why? Hmm. Um, you also have in this story, Public Health Agency of Canada figures that breaks it down. 16 million women fully vaccinated including an unknown unknown number of expectant mothers. And this is where it gets pretty tragic. Uh, there were 91 miscarriages and spontaneous abortions following COVID shots. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the COVID shots caused the spontaneous abortion or the miscarriage, but there, there seems to be a correlation there. Uh, they, have, they have figures on the number of miscarriages and, and abortions, but they don't have figures on... Uh, the, the number of expectant mothers that were vaccinated, fully vaccinated? Well, they do have them. They just won't disclose them. This is an uncomfortable topic. But, Richard, this is on the level. How uncomfortable is it? I know some of my associates in the media, and there are other commentators who call this misinformation. These are Government of Canada Department of Health figures. When they say they counted 91 miscarriages and spontaneous abortions following vaccination, those were reported as vaccine-related adverse reactions 
by doctors. That's not internet conspiracy talk. This was reported to the Federal Department of Health. They don't include those when they count 370 vaccine-related deaths. What are we saying, Richard? The, of course, the odds are infinitesimal in the great scheme of things when tens of millions of people have been vaccinated, but it happens, and they can't deny that it happened. And you and I, Tom, are old enough to remember 1976 when the swine flu vaccine was pulled off the shelf oh, after two dozen people died. Two dozen. What a fiasco that was. All right. Well, we do not learn. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for your uh, time, as always. Thank you, Richard. Tom Korski, Managing Editor, Blacklocks Reporter. Support independent media, blacklocks.ca, blacklocks.ca. When we come back... Lieutenant Colonel Robert L. McGinnis, U.S. Army, retired on the 21st anniversary of 9-11. Are we any safer? Stay tuned. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, welcome back. Waiting for more details on this horrific shooting in Peel Region in Mississauga. Toronto police officer who was uh, running a training course shot and killed. This afternoon, the uh, suspect is uh, suspect has been located and is now in custody. A civilian was also shot. Not clear if it was in the original incident or uh, at a later time. There was a suspected carjacking outside of Tim Hortons restaurant at Argentia Road and Winston Churchill Boulevard. Oh dear! Terrible, terrible tragedy. Our thoughts and prayers, obviously, to the um, police officer's family. I, I don't believe uh, that individual has been identified as yet. All right. Um, 21st anniversary of 9-11 yesterday. Barely a blip in the uh, the news media, except to use it to compare to what the, the left perceives as a greater threat, or at least on par with 9-11, and that is the domestic threat. We know what they're talking about. They're talking about MAGA Republicans. Have a listen to this. Uh, this is Vice President Kamala Harris speaking on Meet the Press with Chuck Todd. Look, we're at the 21st marking, if you will, of the September 11th attacks. Yeah. This was a foreign terrorist attacking our democracy, yeah. attacking this country. Yeah. We're now as a nation battling a threat from within. Is the threat mm-hmm. equal or greater than what we faced after 9-11? That's an interesting question. Um, I have held many elected offices as district attorney, attorney general, senator, now vice president. And there's an oath that we always take, which is to defend and uphold our Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. We don't compare the two in the oath, but we know they both can exist and we must defend against it. Despicable question. And it really is a disservice to the memory of the uh, victims of 9-11. But 21 years on, are we any safer? Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, Airborne Ranger, Infantry Officer, and uh, the author of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism, The Deeper State, Alliance of Evil, and Progressive Evil, and a brand new one we'll tell you about in a moment. Uh, Bob, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well, Richard. Thanks for having me. First of all, let me get your your comments on Chuck Todd's question and the answer. This idea that somehow the left wants to equate uh, what happened on 9-11 with MAGA Republicans. We know exactly who they were talking about. 
Yeah, I'm not surprised with Ms. Harris's comment. Uh, it's unfortunate uh, because they're trying to, to paint an entire part of the U.S. population as radical. You know, we're. I would argue that most of us are patriots that love this country. We have political disagreements with, you know, a lot of what the left and especially Mr. Biden are doing. You know, I was uh, very close to the Pentagon on 9-11 and I know some people that were killed there uh, and, of course, was involved uh, directly and indirectly uh, subsequently in in the wars that uh, in Afghanistan, Iraq and elsewhere. Uh, it, it was a tragic situation. I've been to Guantanamo. I've, I've listened to the stories that some of the inmates down there, those that were behind uh, that attack, uh, had said. You know, it was a tragic time in the history. I would hope that we would remember, much like we remember Pearl Harbor uh, and the unprovoked assault on uh, that naval base. And I've been there as well. Um, th- these these issues uh, often, because we don't study our history, we forgot uh, where we came from and what these things represent. So uh, it's an unfortunate question and certainly an unfortunate response from her. So I guess the big question 21 years later is, are we any safer? Because we're now getting reports that just as predicted, uh, some of the, you know, the Af- Afghanis that were brought over after the fall of Kabul and many of them, you know, deservedly so because of it was a humanitarian and the right thing to do. Some of those were uh, um, cooperating and translating and, and so forth um, with, you know, the um, the American and Canadians and British troops that were over there. But now we're hearing that maybe as many as 400 of them were not properly vetted and may be potential terrorists. In other words, it doesn't seem like we learned anything from 9-11. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think you're right, Richard. Uh, Certainly, we have a permeable border in the South where not only, as you indicate, have we brought in hundreds of potential Uh, adversaries into our midst, but also uh, a porous border in the South that has allowed uh, arguably hundreds of others to come in that don't have our best interest in mind. Uh, Given that our our border patrol are defanged, uh, our TSA, you know, it certainly harasses the American public if, as we go to an airport. But the reality is that you know, I think that we've let our guard down. Our FBI is focused on in domestic politics. And unfortunately, too often, you know, our foreign service and even the CIA has been politicized. So uh, these are not good times. I, I think after 9-11, we as a nation uh, pulled together. We focused on the threat. Uh, and we did some good and we did some not so wise uh, things. Uh, and I never supported long term involvement in Afghanistan. But certainly uh, some of the e- efforts that we've uh, done uh, have backfired. And they certainly are not, in my argument or certainly in my pers- uh, position, we are not safer today than we were uh, just prior. You know, just prior to 9-11, uh, that weekend, I had just returned from a conference in Austria where I met with a whole host of um Uh, people in the intelligence community, and they were consistently telling me that what we had experienced years prior in two African uh, embassies with attacks in Kenya and Tanzania or um, Uganda, I think, and also the USS Cole in Yemen, they said, these are the types of things you need to watch out for because uh, the adversary is very much aware of our vulnerabilities. And 
Unfortunately, uh, we failed to stop uh, the attackers on 9-11 and four airplanes, you know, caused tremendous damage to this country. In two days, uh, Bob, your new one, your new book comes out, Kings of the East, China's plan to eliminate America and impose a communist world order. How do we get a copy, an advanced copy? Yeah, it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, uh, just about anywhere uh, books are sold, Richard. And given what's going on in China today, you know, it, it should scare all uh, freedom loving people. Um, these are true uh, Leninist Marxists that are in charge from President Xi all the way down to the, the lowest member of the 95 million Communist Party members. Uh, they have a very clear agenda across the world. They'll use their economic prowess, their military, uh, certainly their geopolitical. And we're seeing it in spades everywhere across the world. So this is a very existential threat, I think, a threat to Western democracy. And we all need to be very cognizant of that. All right. I'm going to get my review copy. I'm going to study it and I'm going to get you back on. We'll do an extended uh, segment and talk about the new book, Kings of the East. Bob, always appreciate your insights. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, U.S. Army, retired. When we come back, does Michelle Obama have a clear path to the White House? Political commentator, foreign policy analyst and author Joel Gilbert joins me. Stay with us. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Uh, just under a week ago, the former president, Barack Obama, former first lady, Michelle Obama, returned to the White House for the unveiling of their official portraits. And um, my next guest is quite certain that Michelle Obama will be running for the Democrats as the presidential nominee in 2024 and may have a clear path to the White House. Joel Gilbert is a political commentator, foreign policy analyst, and the author of Michelle Obama 2024, Her Real Life Story and Plan for Power. Joel, welcome back. How are you? Hey, great to be here. Thank you. Likewise. Um, your thoughts on the uh, the unveiling. Uh, uh, this is the first time I understand in about a decade that a former president and a first lady have been invited back to the White House for an unveiling. Uh, this, you know, a tradition that didn't happen during the Trump years. I don't imagine he's going to be invited back to the White House for an unveiling of his portrait anytime soon. Um, he may have to do it himself in 2024 if he wins. Is there any any signal there? Does that is that supposed to send some kind of a signal about, you know, Michelle Obama coming back onto the onto the the, the stage, maybe a, a, an indication yeah. she's going to run? Yeah, well, it was a pretty interesting event. Uh, it was Michelle's first time back at the White House, actually, since uh, since she left in 2016. Uh, you might recall Barack had been there last year for an event in which uh, all the staff fawned over him and cheered him. And he completely ignored Joe Biden in one of the most pitiful moments in presidential history. You remember the video of Joe Biden wandering around the room and trying to get Barack's attention, tapping on his shoulder and Obama kind of blew him off. It was very sad. That just shows you how popular Obama is with the staff compared to Joe Biden. Uh, This event last week was the unveiling of the portraits and Barack gave about a five minute speech and mostly made jokes, didn't really say anything of substance. When Michelle Obama spoke for five minutes, she gave a very political speech. She took a swipe at Trump. She said, well, when our time was up at the White House, you know, you just got to move on. 
Uh, she used the words our democracy, which is a big Democrat talking point. And she went through her own little history, which she's been talking about for 15 years. She talked about how she wasn't supposed to have her picture hung in the White House with Dolly Madison and Jacqueline Kennedy. She wasn't supposed to be there. That's this story she's been pushing for about for many years that she uh, goes through in her book, Becoming, her autobiography, about being this rags to riches story, someone who suffered from discrimination and overcame obstacles. In my book, in my film, Michelle Obama 2024, I do a full life history and I show that Michelle Obama was a very privileged kid from a political family. She, her father was a precinct captain, worked for the Democrat Party machine in Chicago. Michelle ran away from the black community for education, for kindergarten, elementary and high school. She went to study in exclusive schools with white kids. Her brother went to an exclusive Catholic school with all white kids. All this instead of going to the black school, which was a block from where they lived. So I chronicle all of this, that Michelle's uh, life story that she's been pushing is, is all phony. And she's been chronically manipulating black and minority voters with these fake stories of racial discrimination and hardship in order to get their political votes. If if she's going to throw her hat in the ring, I would presume then that the the Democratic machine would gleefully, you know, get behind her. Uh, that leaves one obstacle in the way, and that's octogenarian Joe Biden. Uh, I mean, he's already indicated he plans on running in 2024. How are they yeah. going to are they just going to push him aside, invoke the 25th Amendment if he doesn't go willingly? No, uh, Joe Biden can't admit right now that he's not running again because then he'd be a lame duck too early. So he's going to say, oh, I intend to run again. But in the past, he said he's just a transitional candidate. Uh, he doesn't consider himself a long term president. Uh, there's no one in the Democrat Party that supports him running again. The Democrat Party is purging and getting rid of the older white generation, got rid of Andrew Cuomo, Hillary's 76. They don't want her again. And Biden is clearly a, a transitional figure. If he did choose to run, he wouldn't have any support and wouldn't have any money uh, compared to Michelle Obama. She's the most popular Democrat. She was the keynote speaker for Joe Biden at the 2020 Democrat convention. That's the spot that introduces the candidate, just like Obama did for John Kerry in 2004. And that's the spot that they usually set aside for the person they think will be the nominee at the next convention. So, so Michelle Obama, she has this voter registration organization called When We All Vote. She's running around the country giving fiery speeches with all the Democrat talking points. So I believe she's already running for president. You can just look at her her Twitter account. She's got 100 million social media followers. She's all politics all the time. And it's just a matter of time. I think you'll see her declare for president uh, late next spring. How do you think a, a Michelle Obama uh, ticket would match up against Donald Trump ticket? Well, uh, a lot has changed. You know, Donald Trump used to have about 60 or 80 million Twitter followers. He could control the narrative by simply sending out a couple of tweets every day. He would reach directly to his audience, his voters, and the media would cover whatever he tweeted. So his power to control the media and the narrative was was very high. Now he's been banned from all social media. So it's going to be hard for him to get his message out while Michelle Obama will be controlling the narrative every day. Uh, don't forget, the, because Michelle ticks all those boxes of the Democrats, uh, female, African-American, 
if you criticize Michelle Obama, you'll be accused of being a, a racist, a sexist, and a hater. So it's going to be a difficult landscape for Trump to to deal with her. But if he read my book, Dreams for uh, my book, uh, or saw the film Michelle Obama 2024, there are ways to deal with her. And I, as I say, only the truth can stop her. If he started out by saying, Michelle, are you going to apologize for what you did to the black community in Chicago, for example, that would open a whole can of worms because in her professional career in Chicago, I detail in my film and book, uh, she sold out the black community. She was the assistant planning commissioner working for the mayor of Chicago, Mayor Daley, when they knocked down the projects at Cabrini Green. They made 20,000 black people homeless and Michelle was in the planning department. So they could give that land away to these rich Democrat donor developers like Tony Resco. Then having proven how callous she was, she was hired by the white Democrat elites at the University of Chicago to prevent the South Side black community from using the emergency room at the hospital. Michelle would put them in these vans and dump them in these crappy neighborhood clinics so they couldn't have access to good health care. So Michelle has a, a shameful history of exploiting and abusing the black community. Uh, she grew up also running away from the black community in education. She didn't have any black friends. She said she was afraid of going out of her house because she'd get beat up for acting white or talking white. She even writes in her book, getting in a fist fight with a girl who called her an Oreo, meaning you're, you're black on the outside, but you're really a white girl on the inside. So Michelle has a very sordid history with the black community, and she's trying to cover that out by pretending to be one of these ordinary black folks that she spent her life exploiting. Joel, well, I'm sure we'll get you on again as, <clears throat> excuse me, as the midterms approach and uh, and after as we uh, get ready for the 2024 presidential election cycle. Joel Gilbert, the author of Michelle Obama 2024 and also the uh, the documentary. How do we get those quickly? Yeah, please go to SalemNow.com, SalemNow.com for the film, uh, live stream or the DVD, Amazon.com for the book, MichelleObama24.com. Look at the trailer and you can link up to those sites as well. Fantastic. Joel, thank you as always. Thank you. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Declan, and Jacob. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again, God willing. I'll speak with you at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you Tuesday afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. 
tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.